Praise the Lord this morning. That's when you say amen with a resounding sound. Praise the Lord this morning. Amen. You know, the Bible says all the people say. We did not make that up. It's in the scripture a lot of times. But we are affirming what God is already doing this morning. Because today is the day that he has made. It's such a joy to be in the house of the Lord. If you are a guest with us for the first time, we want to welcome you to Lincoln City Church. This is, just make yourself at home. If you didn't get a gift after this, after the service, make sure on the front desk you get a gift for yourself. We have a gift for you. Um, it's so good to see so many different ones this morning. And I'm so honored and proud actually to introduce a new, newest member of Lincoln City Church. She's a member whether she likes it or not. Um, uh, uh, Sarah, you can stand and show off the baby a little bit. It's been awesome. Uh, yeah, last Friday. So, <laughs> Oh, I tell you, God is good and uh, great all, all the time, all the time. Again, I, I thought within 24 hours uh, last week, we added two Moanias in Lincoln. When I came, there was only one Moania. So there's only two. So I want to introduce two. Sam and I, we got to stand up over there. Mr. and Mrs. Mr. and Mrs., you know, so welcome back here. <laughs> all righty, all righty. And then I know I cannot do all this, and my mother-in-law is sitting here, and she hasn't been here for a long time. Susan, you can wave so they know you. <laughs> she has no idea. But she's a, I, got, I got my family all over. And then we are also very, very happy to have Sister Eleanor back from many, many months, you know. So, in fact, I'm going to ask you to come over here. And I know she's been around the world. She'll been around the world. Oh, I'll help you anytime. anytime. You've helped me so much. This is the least I can do right there. You know, she's been, she's been to Africa, to Florida, I tell you, at 88, and she's going like crazy. So yeah. maybe she's going to tell us a little bit about her trip. And, uh, yeah, I became 88 yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> that's old, you know, that's old. Man. I don't think so. That's all right. Uh, I'll handle it because I've got God with me, okay? Yeah. Well, uh, Solo, Pastor Solo asked me to just tell a little bit about what happened when I went to Kenya. I had fallen here and uh, before I went uh, and uh, had a pain down in the top of my right, left leg. And uh, uh, the doctor just gave me a big injection for the pain and all, and I went on out there. And the pain got worse, and so went to the doctor, and we have a wonderful, wonderful Christian doctor in Nairobi. Um, and uh, he said, well, let's get an x-ray and see. Well, he found out that the bone up there had been cracked, and he said, if it breaks, you will be in pain. Well, Susan was there. She went with me, and we were there for two weeks, and she left. And after she left, the day or two later, there came the break, and it, oh, you talk about pain. I never had pain like that in my whole life, even when I had babies. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, uh, they rushed me to the hospital, they fixed that, and they gave me a new hip bone, which I needed, which I was going to need probably within a year. So, and my secondary uh, insurance paid for all of it. Yeah. Because Humana does not pay for anything. I mean, uh, uh, um, uh, Medicare does not pay for anything when you're overseas, but Humana did. Isn't that great? So God is good. He's a provider. Even... I didn't think they, I thought they would just pay their 20% and they paid, paid almost all of it. Well, anyway, that's God's blessing. That's God's blessing. And I just wanted to say this to give you something to think about. I told you that the doctor out there is a wonderful Christian. He is. He's, he, he just loves God. He preaches in different churches and everything. But he came in the hospital room after I was back in there and he said, I want to tell you something that the Lord said to me one day. He said to me, are, he asked me a question. He said, are you a Christian? Are you a doctor who is a Christian? Or are you a Christian who is a doctor? And he said, I stopped and thought about it for a minute. And I said, no, I am a Christian who is a doctor. Mm-hmm. Now, I hope you caught that. I said it to a young man who was from South Sudan, and he was studying in Nairobi, and he's going back to, to Sudan when he's done. He's going back as a lawyer. And I said that to him, and he, he acted like he heard me, but he wrote a letter to, 
uh, John and Molly later, and he said, you know, when your mama told me that, I didn't really catch what she was saying, but I thought about it, and all of a sudden I caught it. And he said, I am going to be a Christian who's going, I am a Christian who is a lawyer, and I'm going to go back to southern Sudan, and that's a hard place to go back to. Anyway, God bless you all. Love you all. It's nice. I'll be here all March, so I'll be able to talk to you all. And I love that little baby. <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, I don't know. All right. Very good. Oh, you're fine. All right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I must say, Ken and Aline, it's good to have you back from... I thought, I thought you guys were in the south for some nice weather, but we evidently had better than you guys did. But anyway, but God is good. Sunshine, Nebraska, you cannot complain about that. Um, I, I need my Bible. If you guys need a word from the Lord, I, I, I might need my Bible here. But anyway, God is good. I'm going to say one more time. God is good. And all the time. And even right now, He's good. He's good. This last uh, week, you know... Um, you know, we were, we had so much going on <laughs> in our family. Um, and, and I remember when Sam and Abigail told us about their, the wedding date that they had chosen, we looked at Abigail and said, uh, you realize that there is a possibility that uh, one of us or both of us might not be there. I was like, yeah, we'll take the risk. And sure enough, it, that's when things happened, you know. And my life turned around really quick because Sarah's was at the hospital and um, getting the kids ready on Friday to, for the rehearsal and all that. And I'm doing it solo, you know, really lived up to my name there. And uh, <clears throat> I'm thinking, you know, about Sunday. I'm thinking about the wedding the next day. And then a bunch of people got sick in the It's like it all came crashing down on me very fast. We survived. We came out victorious. But, you know, I tell you, the whole week I'm thinking, you know, I knew who held the fort at our house. You know, there was no doubt who did that. But I had just a great appreciation of what Sarah does. She's just amazing. I always thought she was. But uh, this week I appreciated it even more, you know. Uh, doing the meals. You should have been at my house, you know. It was like uh, dancing through, um, uh, you know. I you start breakfast, you know, six kids. Some, most of you don't have six kids, so, you know, you don't know what it's like at the time. But you're done with breakfast, and I lost a couple pounds, I think, because I never sat down. You know, as soon as you, it feels like I got everybody served food, you know. Oh, pause that a little bit. All the kids up through sixth grade, please stand up. This is just part of my week. Stand up. Um, uh, that was part of your message. Now you can go on to your class. <laughs> hey, happy birthday, Daniel. 55, God. <laughs> I realized I was going to tell on my kids and they're looking at me. I'm thinking something is wrong here. Something is wrong. <laughs> and, but anyway, you know, you get the sixth one, their, last, their meal, and the person's like, oh, I want more. I wasn't eating or anything, and by the time you're done cleaning up, it's time to make the next meal. Um, but, you know, and the cycle went on and on. I'm thinking, wow, she does that. The house looks good, and the kids get educated out of home. I'm like, wow, she is good. You know, you know, she is good. All I can say, the kids did not get any education at home this last week. Only one subject, only one subject they got, you know, they got, uh, you know, government and uh, understanding the political process and the legislative process. VIA, CISPAN. They watched CISPAN and a bunch of speeches and explained government and they got a good education there. <laughs> God help us, everybody see. But anyway, um, um, it so happened that Pastor Jerry was going to preach. How many know that we're flowing in the Spirit? We knew some. I wasn't going to be, I was going to be here on Sunday. It just didn't happen. But God knew exactly. And uh, he was preparing a word for all of us. And, uh, and, the, and the messenger was there for the right time. You know, didn't plan it exactly that I won't be here. But God knew. So <clears throat> we're going to start um, a new series this morning. You probably noticed or heard. It's called Go. Everybody say Go. We can remember that for sure. It's not very hard to forget. Go, go, go is the series. 
And last time I was here uh, with you, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was finishing up our last series. And I did not finish my message. And as I was preparing, I realized that actually a lot of what I was going to say ties into what we're going to talk about this morning. Go, the verb itself, you know, it's, it's simple. You know, it, it means, you know, just to move from one place to another. You know, it, it's traveling or, or involves leaving some place or where your food is planted and, and going to another thing. And uh, when you think about it, it's really what our lives are about right now. We are always on the go. Is that, do I, am I the only one that feels like we are always on the go? We are always on the go. In fact, truth be told, we never stop. We are always going. You know, and I know some of you are already thinking, I wonder how long this is going to take because I want to go to my next thing, you know, because we are always on the go. And uh, we go to movies, to games, to we go out to eat, we go to dinner, we go have fun, we go fishing. And with this kind of weather, very soon we're going to go out golfing. Bruce, man, I, I come on. God's speaking right now. But our lives are always on the go. But when, uh, there's a time, uh, these two words were spoken by somebody uh, that signified a lot more. You know, in fact, it happened uh, right after the resurrection of Christ. In Galilee, he gathered with his disciples after he had resurrected, uh, just soon after, uh, in Galilee at a mountain, and he talks to them. And I tell you, um, uh, this guy's life felt like what my last weekend was, probably worse, because everything came to a crashing end. Thinking, you know, you don't know, I don't want that verse there yet. Because we'll, we'll, we'll go to that in a minute. I want to kind of lead up to that, if you don't mind, please. So, oh, you don't look, look at, don't look at the screen, look at me. So let me, let me get you to that screen first. So now, they come, everything had changed. The leader that they had walked with the whole time, they see him brutally murdered on the cross, and it feels like it stopped. Some of them are already going back to their old jobs before Jesus came. The ministry had folded. The treasurer, remember his name, Judas? They found out he was stealing money anyway. So everything, everything was unraveling really fast. And, uh, well, the offices of Jesus Christ Ministry International will be closed from now on. Some of them are going to go fishing. Some of them are you know, thinking of... And Jesus shows up. And in fact... Though he talked about it many times before that, he comes back and shows up, and many of them did not even believe he was him at first. Obviously, it looked a little bit different. I, I don't know. It was a, but then, they're like, oh my goodness, their eyes were opened. And they see him. And then he speaks the verse, the, what we see here in Matthew 28. After he gives them a lot of different standing orders and what they're supposed to carry out after he's gone and all that, he comes in and he tells them, help me read it, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And he speaks those words, go. And I know when we, re- when we read that verse, even right now, we, know, we realize that that go has carries a different meaning. It carries a different connotation with it. When Jesus said it, then, hey, let's go out fishing, guys. It's different. And if you're like many Christians, sometimes when you read that, what was known as the Great Commission, even right now in this room, Those words are smothered in obligation. Or even worse yet, guilt. Thinking, boy, you know, I should be accomplishing more of the Great Commission, but boy, I can't get just past the first word, go. And we feel this indebted weight of something we know we should do, or be involved in, or engaged in, but we don't always do what we're supposed to do. And so, some of them think, Pastor Solo, man, uh, are you going to end this sermon today? Oh, yeah, I will. But the attitude of those people, I want to kind of talk about this a little bit. In the, uh, through the eyes of the disciples. And what they thought when Jesus told them, go. 
a lot of things have changed. And many times, as believers, and in the church history, we've changed some of the meanings of what the original intent of the scripture was. And because of it, we have all these barriers that come in our way where we are not accomplishing as much as we used to, as much as we ought to do. Because sometimes the meaning of what the words are actually intended don't even translate in the way we live now. When we think of discipleship, whoa, some people already think, you know, discipleship is for, you know, some of us are in the little league, some of us are in the minor league, but discipleship is for the major league guys. I'm not a major league guy. I'm not, you know, that's some serious stuff right there. And really, can I just break that down before we go into this a little bit and simplify what it actually means? It just means followers of Christ. How many in this room are following Jesus? We are all disciples. It's not for the hardcore, the really hardcore. Anybody that's following Jesus is a disciple. In fact, if you go through the scriptures, you realize that we are called Christians very, 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 very little times, few times. Another word that's used to refer to us is believers, which is slightly more than Christians in in the usage in the Bible. A little tiny bit time we're called Christians. A little bit more we are called believers. And way more times we are called disciples. But over time that meaning has changed to where we think, oh, well, we need to evangelize and then we need to disciple. And so we think, oh, well, I don't have the gift of discipleship. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't have the gift of this. And so it was like, hey, I'll let that for the guys that are gifted in that. No, we need to think about it in more simplistic terms as those disciples looked at. What do you think it meant to them when he said, go and make disciples of all nations? Do you think he was telling them to go to the people that already were followers of Jesus and tell them, hey, you need to follow Jesus more than you were before? You can answer me back. It's okay. It's not a trick question. I promise. But he was telling them to go to tell the people that don't already know Christ to go and tell them about Christ and introduce them to a God who loves them, a God who cares for them, a God who came and died for their sins, a God that has a purpose for their lives. That's how they were hearing that message. Now, if we get that out of the way first and just quit making a lot out of the word discipleship and all this thing and thinking of things that they are not and just think of it in simplistic terms, it actually changes the way we look at it. However, you know, you know that the word implies that we actually have to do something. We have to move. Got to be on the move somehow. You, you got to get your feet from where they're planted. They have to be in motion. And God has always set things in motion. It actually means that we have to take action. We have to accept the risk that are associated with it, but stick one foot in front of the other and actually engage with other human beings. Yeah. Get yeah, the next slide. In this generation... That is a thought that we don't know. We don't know how to talk to people. I think, I hope the picture is making the point I'm trying for you to make. Yeah, those are people gathering. But go, as Jesus said it, means that there's got to be some engagement with human beings. Hello, the two-legged people that walk through the planet. Those, we need to actually have conversations with people. Can we practice that? Tell the pastor next to you, you're cool. You never thought you were cool, but you are. <laughs> but it's really, you know, we live in a time where conversations are becoming rare and rare. 
Have you ever sat in a room and talked to people and you realize they don't know how to talk to people? They'll talk to, about themselves the whole time and never ask you one thing about them. It's like, wow, that was a great conversation. And actually, it challenges us to be able to have conversations with people. If you look at Jesus, he had conversation with people. Jesus preached to the masses. In fact, you read throughout the Gospels, he preached to multitudes. The Bible says multitudes came. Thousands upon thousands came to listen to this great teacher. But yet, if you see instances of his conversation with ordinary people and regular Jews, he had just a regular conversation with ordinary people. Take the woman at the well, for example, a Samaritan woman who... Jewish and the Samaritans didn't mix. And those days, actually, we men and women didn't talk alone on their own. It was just like a cultural taboo. And all these things. He comes in and just strikes a conversation with us. Like, okay, I'm a little thirsty here. Could you help me out with a drink? And she starts back and thinks, what, what, what? Something is wrong here. You are a man. You are a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan. We should not be talking. It's like, hey, listen. If you give me a drink, I'm going to cut you a deal. I'm going to give you a drink that will satisfy you forever and you will never thirst again. Guess what? That got her attention. Because she probably, who knows how many times that woman came to the well to fetch water and go back home. All the women did that. That still happens in Africa. I see that. (laughs) The guys are sitting down having a drink and so... That opens up this conversation and Jesus starts talking to her and he says, Oh, you know, why don't you go home and get your husband? Let's have a talk together. He goes, Well, I have no husband. He said, Well, I know that. You've had five before. And the one that's living in your house right now, he ain't your husband. And she goes, Whoa, now this is some serious stuff. But Jesus ministers to her in a very personal way and has an ordinary conversation of everyday life. Not any plan, grand plan, evangelism, plan 101. I'm going to evangelize you. I'm going to make you a disciple of Jesus. No. And you know that happens. But he has a regular conversation that leads this woman to salvation. And then, listen, he tells the woman what? Now, go and tell others. Do you know, if you look through the scripture, this was not the first time when we read that Jesus said go. In fact, in Matthew 28 alone, there's a number of times right after the resurrection where he appeared to somebody. He appeared to Mary Magdalene and all. But what he said to them? Go and tell the disciples. Go and tell your brethren. Go and tell... So, he always was about going and telling, as opposed to like, he didn't sit down and say, hey, tell the disciples to come and see me. No, go tell them about what? Your experience with me. And it was very interesting to me. I started, this was got to be more fun when I was studying this. Because I realized that God has always been saying, go to us, not just Jesus, He told many people to go and go and go. He told the disciples to go many times before. They didn't remember that. But if you look back, oftentimes he'll tell them to go. There's a time he sent them out two by two and said, you go and and he gives them the power. You will see that every time God says go and the goer goes in obedience to it, there is a blessing and an anointing that associated with going. And many times when we put our feet planted and we do not go, there are many miracles and anointing and grace that we forfeit, if you would, that would have otherwise come if we were in motion. A phenomenon that has always uh, amazed me. I've never been able to understand for a long time. Because I remember watching as a young child, uh, I went to Reinhard Bonke's crusade that was near in my neighborhood. He was a German evangelist that uh, preach in Africa a lot, mostly in West Africa. But he came to Kenya a couple of times. I remember going as a kid 
and listening to him preach, and thousands upon thousands were coming and listening to him. But it was the first time I ever witnessed miracles happening in front of you, where people will come with wheelchairs, you know, that will be sitting in the crowd with you, and they will get up and walk right in front of your eyes. And, and, and it wasn't like one miracle happened. You're talking masses of people just happening. And as a kid, you see it. And so when I got older, he came back again, and I thought, I'm going to go listen to him. And this time I was more in the Lord, and I was walking with God, and I, and, and, and I was planted. And I'm listening to him preach. After he was done preaching, I said, that was not that exceptional preaching. I know there are some guys that can preach. I'm not one of them. But there are some guys that you can sit down and listen to them preach and say, wow, that was amazing. We'll start calling them out. Ever listen to T.D. Jakes preach? It's like, wow, that guy was meant to preach. He opens the word and you're thinking, wow, how did he get that out of that? And they can preach. And Brandon Bonker listened to this guy and he preached about the blood of Jesus. It was a very simple message. But after finishing that simple message, he called an altar call for salvation. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands went to the altar. Miracles, signs and wonders were being done in the open air. No show, nothing elaborate. But God was moving. And it suddenly occurred to me that it's one, it's not about how good a preacher he is. Because he's not an exceptional preacher. I've listened to good preachers. And he's not one of them. But the connection is the miracles and the signs and the wonders are always connected with God. Do you hear what I said? They're always connected with God. You read on to the Gospel of Luke and then skip over to Acts, which continues what Luke was re- had written. It narrates the story of after the resurrection. And Jesus talks to the disciple, and in chapter one of the book of Acts, there's a little bit more. Um, 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 uh, there's a little bit more uh, illustration as to some of those conversations that he was having. Expounds on it a little more, and then um, in, in, in chapter one and verse eight of Acts, he says that, that that you shall receive what power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why? So that you can be witnesses for me. Where? Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Same places he referred to. That go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'll be with you. If you keep reading, it says, you know, you go to Jerusalem, to Judea, the outermost parts of the earth. And really, God infuses power when his church, we, his people, are on the go. Where are we going to? What is our message? What is it that we are preaching? What is it that we are about? What is it that the disciples were told to go and do? We need to go back to that. It was a very simple message. To preach the kingdom of God, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified and him rising up. And what that means for our salvation and the history of our world. It was a simple message. Jesus Christ and him being crucified. In fact, the apostle Paul comes back later in Second Corinthians and he says, I purport not to have said to, to know anything among you guys, but only one thing. Jesus Christ and him being crucified. Problem we've had. We want to know so much. To feel so equipped. So that we can go. Most of these guys did not even have half the theology that you and I have. In fact, they did not have the New Testament. They were the New Testament. And we are still the New Testament. The books haven't been closed. The book's still being written. 
They preach out of the Old Testament. <laughs> Jesus Christ and him being crucified. They preach out of the Old Testament. In a very simple society. A very small, insignificant group of people in Palestine. And you look through the church history. And you see right there from there, as they started to go, the first sermon that Peter delivers in a group of people after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the day of Pentecost. He comes and he preaches the message of salvation. Now, what I've come to find out is that many Christians in our time, in North America, I should say, have never led anybody to the Lord. I was teaching a class once, and it was leaders that I was teaching a class to. And I asked the question, how many of you ever led someone to Jesus Christ? I mean, like just leading them to the prayer of salvation. And one in that group raised their hand. They did a study recently of all the fastest growing churches in America. And they discovered that 90%, 90% of all the fastest growing churches in America are filled with people that came from other churches. So we're playing musical chairs. Time to sit. Five are gone. But they're at the other place. Two more new. But this morning, these seats are not packed. We should pack this place full. If every church was filled to capacity in Lincoln, Nebraska today, there'll still be 180,000 people not in church this morning. We have a world to reach. We have a people to reach, and there are many people looking for Christ. What is our message? Let me go back to that thought. If you've never led anybody to Jesus, it's got to change today. Because you've got to remember the basics. Because a lot of times is well, fear, maybe feeling incompetent. Or whatever it might be. But there are many different reasons why people don't. But I think fear and not feeling adequate enough to do it tends to be rank up there. And when we talk about the sinner's prayer, I'm going to touch on that a little bit. If you've never led anybody to the Lord, you need to know how to lead someone to, through the sinner's prayer. It's not in the Bible like that. The sinner's prayer, the salvation prayer, it's not outlined in the Bible that way. But the basis of it is derived from the scripture, okay? And how and what it involves, okay? John chapter 10, remember that. It talks about how if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with a heart that one believes unto righteousness, and it is with a mouth that confession is made to salvation. Now, it involves both confessing the Lord Jesus and believing the Lord Jesus. One without the other is incomplete. Both have to happen together. It's faith, but the faith has to be spoken out. I mentioned Peter in, in, in Acts chapter 1 and 2 when he preaches to the people. He says, what shall we do? He says, you got to, one, repent and be baptized. Repeat that with me. Repent and be baptized. So There's no salvation without repentance. And the act of obedience is followed through baptism. And however you pray that prayer, people pray the salvation prayer on their own. Involve, as long as it involves the heart that believes in Christ as my Savior, then you can ask the Lord, one, to forgive. That's repentance in simply asking for his forgiveness, recognizing that I'm a sinner. If you don't acknowledge that part, this day is like, oh, are you, are you a sinner? Oh, Jesus, how dare you call me a sinner? I'm just like you. I'm imperfect like you. How dare do you call me a sinner? Some of you got it. We don't like to judge. You call me a sinner? Who made you perfect? Nobody's perfect. I'm not a sinner. You just admitted it. But you got to say back, he's approaching God with the humble attitude that I, yes, Lord. 
I am a sinner and I need you. I believe in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, that who came and died for my sin. Not just the sin of the world, my sin. It makes it personal. And anybody, any believer can lead anybody into a point of salvation. A couple months ago, and it happened a couple times, and if you ask the Lord to use it, he'll use you. And, and it happened, it was very funny because I had two, in this, it, it, within a week of each other, I ran into a couple different people, the same exact, almost the same exact scenario. A person that was riding their bike, needing a ride because they were hungry, whatever was happening. So I just said, well, I'm late. I've said this story here before. I think I have. But anyway, uh, maybe I have not. I have said it many times. But anyway, I, I talked to this guy and I take him to where he needed to go. And uh, on my way there, I have a conversation with him. I talk to him and see where his faith is at. And, uh, and I realize that the guy knows a lot about Christianity. He's been to church so many times. He's like, hey, I've been to that church. Oh, I know that. This guy is not new to church. And then as we're pulling over and I'm getting there, I said, but have you ever asked Jesus Christ into your life? Have you ever been saved? Because, no, I've always wanted to, but I don't know how. And it was really an eye-opening to me there, thinking, how many times do we talk and talk and talk to people about God? Well, you got to get God. You gotta... And we share and we feel like, oh, maybe their hearts are hurt. Sometimes you just have to pause and quit the talking. The message is not new to most people in North America. And get to the point of question. Have you asked Jesus into your life? Can we do that together? Have you asked Jesus into your heart? And don't answer for them. Be quiet. If they are slow talker, they might take some time to answer. Don't feel the pressure. Even if there's a little awkward pause, it's okay. Allow the Holy Spirit space to work. Because he's not going to say yes or she's not going to say yes unless the Holy Spirit already is working in their lives. But it is upon us to ask that question to people. They will never say yes they want to unless someone asks them. We read that scripture two weeks ago. How would they know unless someone goes and tells them? But we need to get to a point. Now, now I've been to places where the message has not been preached. And that is not North America. People already know the basics. In fact, we know it too much and it's become common. And to ask the question. And I thought, you know, how many times? And it's like those moments where God says, oh, this is a teaching moment. Because you've got to get to the point. Now, if they have one questions later, you could answer questions later. Here's what a mistake I've seen that we do many times about this. We want them we want Jesus to be Lord. There's a difference between Jesus being your Savior and your Lord. He becomes your Savior the moment you ask him into your life. Then he becomes your Lord as you continue to follow him. The difference is, Lord, he's now speaking into your life. You're following him. I'm saying, hey, I'm forgetting the stuff that I used to do. I want to learn about Jesus more. And I want every area of my life to reflect my saviors. That's Jesus becoming Lord. But sometimes we want people that haven't asked Jesus to be their savior. And we expect them to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And he's not even their savior yet. And we get frustrated with that. Because they will not listen to the right thing to do in life. Maybe they're on the wrong political side. Maybe they're on this. Lord. You want to change them and have them submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I haven't done step one yet. Jesus isn't the savior of their lives yet. It leads people to the saving grace and the saving knowledge.
of Jesus Christ. And then they can walk through the process of submitting into the Lordship of Jesus Christ as they learn more and more about him. That there's more to it than just getting saved. That he has a purpose for their lives. That he cares for them. That he can change their lives forever. The message is simple. The implication is eternal. We need to turn on the fire of preaching the gospel. Spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Friends, we are living in the last days. There should be a sense of urgency concerning this. There was a sense of urgency for them. They even thought Jesus is coming in their generation. Some of those guys. But you can see the first 300 years of the church. Christianity spread like wildfire. It was absolutely amazing how they were able to reach so many people that the entire Roman world, the Roman Empire at the time, even made Christianity the state religion. So many people were turning to Christ. Why? It is the way the believers shared. They didn't have the mass communication that we have now. They didn't have the tools that we have now. Many of them were not even trained in the world like we do now. We went to Bible Sunday school and all that. We got a lot of foundation. Many of us did, hearing it on TV and all. They didn't have any of that. But yet they were so effective in their message. One story I read, but absolutely, uh, just uh, um, uh, there's a, a, a man called Justin Mari, who was a noted theologian in the early church. And he wrote to the empire, uh, Antoninus Pius, and described the believers to, the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to Antoninus. He says it, the, the, the impact of their message was about the way they lived. Because these people, when they found the message of Christ, they changed their lives. And their neighbors and their friends were able to see the change between them. And the community of faith became so strong they helped each other in ways that people are thinking, man, these guys are onto something. Because they watched up, they looked out for each other. They did a lot. And many people were compelled by the fruit of their lives. So he writes to, the, to this emperor, and he says, we, were for, we formerly rejoiced in uncleanliness of life, but now we love only chastity. Before we used magic arts, but now we dedicate ourselves to the true and unbegotten God. Before we love money and possessions more than anything. But now we share what we have and do everything and, and to everyone who is in need. Before we hated one another and killed one another and would not eat with those of another race. But now since the manifestation of Christ, we have come to a common life and pray for our enemies and try to win over those who hate us without any cause. Tell me, that's a testimony of a life changed. The contrast of what their lives used to be before they came to Christ. And that's the message, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This gospel is actually a very simple gospel. But never undermine the power. It is simple, but it is absolutely powerful. The gospel has the power to change lives. The gospel in itself is the message of salvation. In fact, we are told not to be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation. I read about uh, this dad that took two kids, uh, his boys, on a long weekend fishing trip. They go out to on Friday night after work. They get into a cabin. After they get... All set, all eat, whatever. It's already evening. They decide, well, we'll call it the night. We'll go out and spend the next couple of days fishing. Boys are excited, you know. I, I don't fish very much. When I do go fishing, I call Terry Jones or Gabe or Chris, and then I'll take my boys fishing. But anyway, those trips are short, but they, 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 you, can, you know how the boys get excited for those things, you know. Out. So as they were sleeping, something happened, and uh, it just started raining. It just started pouring, and they thought, whoa. And it poured, kept raining and raining. Didn't stop. The next day, it was such a rainy day, they said, well, we'll hang out at the cabin. 
maybe we'll do it tomorrow. This thing never stopped. So the kids, the first day there, you know, it's like, yeah, it's going to be great tomorrow. Some kid had brought a board game that they were playing. There was one. So kept company and all that. Before you know it, well, you cheated. No, I did that. You know, those types of rivalries start happening. So we'll go to bed this, that night, and uh, they wake up the next morning. And boy, it's not a bright day. It's not. There's only one board game now. And the tensions just start getting in this little cabin. The temperature of the room is getting hotter by the minute. And now they cannot stand each other anymore. I mean, you know that. In the winter when you're stuck in with your siblings, kids need to go out and play and run the steam off. How many I agree? Video games suck. They just do. Because over time, they're going to be fighting. Well, if you only have one kid, he's got no one to fight with on the remote. Oh, it's my time. You got 45 minutes. I got 43 and a quarter minutes. So it's, so it got really crazy. And by the time they got to the third day, and uh, now the time off is over, they have to go home. They're not even talking to each other. Because the fights have gotten to be too nasty for anybody's help. And... I remember that I'm thinking, wow, isn't that a picture of what church has become? Those who are called to go out fishing for men, when all our concentration is within these four walls, it's amazing the stuff we start picking up on. Wow, gay. Brown shoes are just not cool. We should be doing black. I don't like the lighting here. And little things you start getting. It was just small. Sometimes it bothered you a little bit. And then before you know it, you can't stand it. And it becomes so bad that you're like, hey, throwing in the towel, man. This isn't for me. Isn't that amazing? That's why we have the musical chairs that we do. Because the things... Those who are meant to go out fishing have been stuck in under the rain for way too long. The message of the gospel is a message of go. In fact, the first two letters of the word gospel is go. We need to bring go back into the gospel. Because when we do Miracles begin. I was talking to you about Reynard Bonke there. I believe, I came to the conclusion, and even going through this series, and you'll see it more, and we'll talk about it more, you realize that those promises of miracles, those promises and all, why those things were happening is because their focus was one thing, to win souls for Jesus Christ, to those, get those that are far from God to come to God and get closer to God. That's how simple it is. If our goal is to reach the world, we will reach no one. If our goal is to reach the city, we will reach no one. The goal is going into our world. Not going to the world. Go to your world. The places that you go every day. Every day you put in like 10,000 steps, I think. Maybe we walk less now. On average, I used to say that. And they add up to thousands and thousands of steps. In those steps, you encounter people. In those steps, you, have, you live with people. And that circle is small. I'm not asking you, and even God is not asking us all to be Reynard Bonke or Luis Palau or Bill Graham. Or, no. He's asking us to be just like the believers or the disciples were in those early days. They reached their world. They went into their world. And became more intentional to bring people into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You might even be here this morning and you haven't come to that first step yet. God maybe is pulling you and you're feeling like, I need more of God in my life. And today, you don't have to walk out without that salvation. 
Because God still forgives and he heals and gives you a new meaning in your life even today. And we'll, I'll pray for you a little bit at the end for that. So you can go home today with Jesus Christ in your life. But that message when it stopped, and even in, through the church history, and I'm not going to go into details on that, is when the political powers, and oh, well, we are more, you know, when all the different setups of the different um, churches became, uh, came, and people were involved in thinking, well, we're going to do this our thing here, we're going to do this our thing here, and well, we're going to be more authoritative over you than that. When those things started happening, is when we started losing our grip. And when we started losing our grip, many of what was, had become a normal occurrence in the Christian world, the miracles that were being performed by the hands of the apostles almost dried up because we lost focus. The focus again is the message of the gospel. We, I realize there are many different giftings that we bring to the, to the church, many different things that we add to the church, and they are all good. But we should, we should never lose the focus of bringing people to Christ. We gather together to worship, but we worship the Lord to celebrate what he's already doing in our lives. But we should be celebrating with the angels as more added to the church daily, those who are being saved. Um, uh, I thought maybe I'll give you a couple thoughts here. Maybe some of you that like notes or points. Give you a couple points. What, what do we do? Number one, to go. We need to pray that people will say yes to God. Nobody says that Jesus is Lord, the scripture says, unless they are led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God begins to work in people's lives when we pray for them. I was at a pastor's conference about two, three years ago, and we had Lee Strobel speaking to us, and he is passionate about leading people to Christ. He talks about it all the time. And he asked us a question, which I'm going to ask you, uh, too, to think about it yourself. And he said, you know, if the Lord was to answer every prayer that you prayed this week, would there be any new believers in the kingdom of God? And I'm asking you the same question. And the reaction was exactly what it was in a group of pastors there. Do we pray for people to be saved? Is it part of our weekly, our daily? Do we pray for our friends? Do we pray for our neighbors? Do we pray for our co-workers? Do we pray for the people down the street? Do we ask the Lord in the morning, show me how I can make a difference, how I can lead someone to you. Don't be an expert in preaching. Don't be an expert in sharing. In fact, he says, don't even think about what you're going to say. He says, I will give you, when you go, I will give you the right words to say. Trust me, the Holy Spirit is better than you and I. We overthink these things. And what everybody that we tell or bring them to a point of decision, Say yes. You want the answer? No. Many of them will not. But some will. They've been waiting for that message, for someone to ask them that question. Like my friend Joseph that I told you. He looked at me and says, oh, nobody's ever asked me that. He's had everything, but I've never been asked that. He had this sad face when I was talking to him. Things were not going well in his life at the time. Prayed with him. After I led him through the prayer of salvation, in my car, when my wife is waiting for me at a doctor's office, I text her and say, hey, I'm late. I'm doing some kingdom business here. But anyway, no, I wasn't like that. But I said, please. After we opened our eyes prayer, him, I the guy, there was tears in his eyes and a huge grin in his face. I knew that Jesus, that I love, that saved me one day and changed my life forever, the same Jesus had come into his life. That guy's not here, hasn't come to church. In fact, I didn't even invite him to church. Oh, pastor, you should invite him to church. No, I did not. Well, for one, I was writing to 
I was already late to meet up my wife. But, <laughs> but the second, it really isn't about being a church. It's about being him, him, being connected to Christ. If I'd parted ways with that guy and haven't seen him since, talked to him once, try and get his bike back to him, but haven't talked to him since, if that guy is not even alive right now, <laughs> one day I've been in heaven. Thanks for giving me a ride. That was good. But even better than giving me a ride, thank you for giving me the ticket here. And that needs to be our driving force. And I told you I had another similar situation. I ride again. And I was late to meet my wife again a week later. It was a totally different situation. This guy was, I can tell, it's kind of one of us, okay, do I give this guy a ride? Do I not? But this situation is freakingly similar to last week. And God is saying, hello. It's that clear. So I got the guy a ride and uh, make the long story short, my car smelled like alcohol a lot. If it had given you a ride after that, I'd think, man, Pastor Solo, what happened to you? And the guy was not even very coherent. I could tell he was under the influence. And I'm having a conversation. He can't carry out a conversation. Pulled over to where he was going, and I prayed with the guy right there. And even the prayer in his guy's mind, he was distracted. In fact, I stopped the prayer and says, hey, do you want me to pray for you? He goes, what, what? I said, I'm praying and I look up and you're staring at me. If you don't want this prayer, just let me know. I goes, oh, no, no. And then he says, oh, shoot, I blew it again. Think what? I always do that. I always mess up. When things are starting to go well, I always mess up. Then sits, he says, sits there, we talk for five, minutes, five, ten minutes and start telling me, because you don't know what it's like to be bound by alcohol. I said, actually, I do. My dad was an alcoholic. So I know exactly what it's like to, well, didn't do it myself, but I saw what it did to my dad. And I know when, when Jesus came into his life, in the real way, he never, go to, he never went to AA or anything. He was delivered completely. Why? The message of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation. What we possess, you and I have. The message can deliver somebody in an instant. It is a powerful message. And he looked at me because he did not see, he did not think. Maybe he's thinking, this guy looks all clean, nice guy, da da. He has no idea what it's like to have a life like mine. I was like, no, I have an idea. I've seen it. And so he tells me how for two years previous, God had 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 an encounter with God in his apartment. And that God delivered him from, and he had gone for two years without putting a drink in his mouth. And things were getting together right. One night, he's sitting there, and um, he feels, man, you know, I should go out for a smoke. Gets out of the apartment, goes out and take a smoke, and says, the moment I took that smoke, I'll suck right into my life, the old life. And I blew it again. And God, he's he's telling me all this encounter he had with God. And you know, it causes you to pause there. How quick the enemy just wants a little window and sucks him right back. And I had compassion for him. Boy, I didn't have a lot of patience, but I had compassion for him. And I tell you, when you start reaching people, they're not all going to look beautiful. They're not going to all be wrapped in gold and say, you know, no. You didn't look all that beautiful, even though you think you did. Maybe you did on the outside, but on the inside, we are not. None of us look beautiful. Apart from the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all iniquities and all sin, none of us are beautiful. And so anyway, I say this because there are many, many people that need Christ. And we are the people that are commanded to go. It's point two. Let me make it quick. (laughs) I might stop at point one again here, people. 
What's wrong with me? Number two, give to help others to go. God uses our giving. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. Not where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. You start giving like crazy towards the cause of the gospel and the expansion of the kingdom of God. That's why we take giving to missions so seriously. Because, listen to this verse, it says, We must support believers who go on trips like this so that we can work together with them in spreading the truth. There are times that you might just, all you did is write a check and deposited it and threw it on the plate and you go to heaven and meet some people that your brothers and sisters for eternity and think, oh, the only reason I'm here is because you sent the money to the missionary in Brazil. You sent the money to the missionary in Kenya. You sent the money to, to the mission. Start giving like crazy towards the kingdom of God. Our monies have, will find ways, places to go. Maybe that's just in our family. It comes in and there are so many places that To take the money. It goes. Does your money have feet? Or does it have a Ferrari? <laughs> goes really fast when it comes in. So you have to be intentional about giving for the kingdom of God. When you give to the church, when you tithe, when you give offerings, when you give beyond offerings, you're giving for the fervence of the kingdom. What we do, what our goal is here is to see more people come to the faith in Jesus Christ. And we will strive and continue to do that this year even like, like never before. So when you give, it's not just throwing money at a game or whatever. No, we are sending, we are giving towards the fathers of the kingdom. And make no mistake, it is absolutely significant. If you've never thought it is significant, You need to change because it's absolutely significant and it actually has eternal implications. So make it a priority in your life that you make sure that you make it a priority to give towards the things of God, to give towards ministry, to give towards missions. Number three, you got to step out in faith. You got to step out in faith. In Isaiah God, speak, God speaks to Isaiah when he gets a vision of, of heaven. He said, then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. That's a heart of a volunteer. It's like God is looking for people to go. He's saying, who shall go? The volunteer says, Lord, here I am. Lord, send me. Send me. About 16 years ago, I volunteered to go to a church plant in a slum area in Nairobi. John Stan, you all, many of you have met him, who runs KKV, was assigned by the main church to be the lead pastor for the new church plant in the slum. And I volunteered to go for a year, maybe two. No agendas, just go help John and all the team to go get that church started. I tell you, at the time as a young guy, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be real, real with you guys. It was a time where a lot of my friends were starting to think, hey, boy, hey, I'm going to get married here. And the main church, the big church, all the, all the good-looking girls were at the main church. And my friends are thinking, man, you know, you might miss out here. And, and I tell you, I thought about that. I might miss out on the right one. Some of the ones you think, hey, maybe that one. And I volunteered, hey, I'll come in and help. And it was in that time we go out, and the, the church is still going on, still reaching many people. In fact, they planted many churches from there. But do you know that even the things that we need, how good God is, and we don't even, had no agenda. That's the year that Sarah graduated from nursing school and went to work at an orphanage in Kenya. 
because her uncle, John, was leading this church plant. I was working with John. I was with John probably three or four times a week. That's when I met Sarah. You see how God does things? I would have never planned that. And sometimes we don't go because we're trying to look out for ourselves. Yet God knows exactly. I look back to 13 years later, 15 years later, I'm thinking, boy, what if I would have ended up with that lady? Oh, man, that, yeah, yeah. at the time it looked good. But I'm thinking, wow, I'm glad I volunteered. I'm glad I volunteered. You just never know when you walk in obedience to God, with God. He will take care of you when you take care of his work. He will take care of your house when you take care of his house. He'll take care of your business when you take care of his business. He'll take care of your plans when you take care of his plans. He'll take care of your mission when he takes care of you. You can never outgive God. He already knows the things that you want, the things that you need, the things that you so desire. In fact, he says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, that he will grant you even the desires of your own heart. And he knows exactly what's good for us 10 years from now. He knows what's good for us 50 years from now. I want to encourage you. Do not ever hesitate in doing what God is asking you to do because you're concerned about your affairs being taken care of. In fact, you're going to miss out on God, what God has for you which is always better than what you have for yourself. God knows your address. He knows your bank account number. He knows exactly your life from the beginning to the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the end before the beginning. Do you even understand that the gospel, the message of the gospel, was proclaimed before the foundations of the earth? You see that in Revelation saying that even before the foundations of the earth, God had already planned This message of salvation, the gospel message, which you and I have, and are commanded to go. He planned it even before, because he was not surprised when Adam and Eve took the route they did. It came to no surprise. He was like, oh, change the plan, change the plan, change the plan. No, he knew that they would do that. And he still carried out his plan of creating humanity. And immediately says, oh, he sent the plan of Jesus coming to be the savior of the world. And he didn't end it there. He knew that in 2015, we will be living here and we need a salvation. There are many people. So he didn't close out the door because he wants as many, as many, as many as would call or hear and say, yes, Jesus, I received your gift. Let's stand up. Amen. How many are receiving something from this? Come on. I tell you, get ready for some miracles. Get ready to see the promise of the gospel and the accompanying sons and